Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Several years ago, Wilmington was experiencing a pretty severe drought, and it was so severe that the churches began to work together, and they decided they would go downtown to the courthouse, and they would gather church leaders, churches together, and they would gather and they would just pray and ask God to intervene and cease the drought and give them rain again. I love, I love this story. This is a true story. I love this about our church. The founding pastor of this church, um, Arthur Merkel, he was the only pastor that showed up to prayer time with an umbrella. See, he trusted. He trusted what God could do. He trusted in God. He didn't just believe that there was a God. He trusted that God could intervene and make a difference. Today, we are going to start our Christmas sermon series, and we are going to look forward in the scripture on how God can give us lots of gift exchanges, the things that he wants to take from us and give us and replace. And today, we're going to study how God can maybe replace our doubt with a gift of faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for faithful prayer warriors that have come before us. Thank you so much for the faithfulness of this church. We just ask now, Lord, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to change us, especially change us through the reading of your word, especially change us through our time of singing, especially change us during our time of communion. Lord, we ask to be transformed so that our faith will grow. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's a passage of Scripture that we're going to use today that many of you are probably familiar with, with the Christmas story. It's that passage in Matthew Matthew chapter 1 where he says, And the virgin will give birth to a child, and you shall call him Emmanuel. That, a lot of people don't know, though, that that passage comes from the book of Isaiah. It's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. Some 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah the prophet was around giving the word of God, pointing us to a future, pointing the people then to a future. Now, they looked forward to it. We look back to it. Isaiah chapter 7 is this place where I believe that God can begin exchanging our doubt for faith. And I think he can do it by giving us three gifts Uh, He gives us three gifts here in in Isaiah chapter 7, the gift of a prophet, the gift of a promise, and the gift of his presence. And so uh, listen as I read chapter 7 of Isaiah, the prophet, verses 1 through 17. There are some strange sounding names here and some strange countries that we need to be aware of as we start listening to this prophecy. When Isaiah was writing, Israel, the nation of Israel, God's holy people, had had a kind of like a civil war split. And the nation of Israel was divided into two separate countries. Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel went north, 
and they called themselves Israel. But they were no longer a part of Jerusalem or the place where God said sacrifices had to be made. The two tribes stayed south, and that became known as Judah. And uh, of the many, many kings that happened to uh, survive after King David and Solomon, their children, their grandchildren, um, there were a lot more terrible, evil kings than there were kings that followed after God. And um, this split, uh, this civil war, Israel to the north, Judah to the south, um, and Israel would do things like they would say, well, you can worship God anywhere, even though God had said you've got to worship Jerusalem. And they would say, in fact, I'll make the king of, of Israel, he made two golden calves that they could come and worship their God at, at a different altar place. If that recalls anything, God is against that. Okay, so we're separated. So when we start reading Isaiah, he is giving a prophecy to the king of Judah who still resided in Jerusalem with the, where the where the sacrifice could be made. And as we're reading it, we're going to see that the king of Judah, Ahaz, is scared because the king of Israel is joining together with what's called Aram, which is where Syria is today. And they've decided they're going to come and invade and take over Judah. And this causes great fear to King Ahaz. So you, that's what you're going to hear right at the beginning. Um, if you, if you can picture the Middle East in your mind, Israel is this small strip of land, and then um, right above it to the right, if you're looking at the map, is Syria, and then a little bit further over is Iraq, modern-day Iraq. And in our context today, it would be Israel, Judah and Israel, Aram, which is called Syria, and then if you move over to the Iraqi place, that's where Assyria, a very dangerous country, lived. All right, you still with me? Did I bore you out of your minds? Okay, we're looking for the three promises, the three presents God gives us that will exchange our doubt for faith. Isaiah chapter 7. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah. Okay, this is supposed to be the good king. He's not, but he's supposed to be. King Rezin of Aram, that's Syria, and Pekah, son of Remuliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So Israel and Syria, they've gotten together. Okay, I, I can see where that'd be scary. Verse 2, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They were very, very scared. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to Washerman's Field. Probably King Ahaz was there looking at the water lines because if they come under siege, they want to make sure they have enough water to withstand the siege. But he was scared. Say to Ahaz, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezim and Aram and the son of Ramaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen. 
For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. So what God is saying through Isaiah is, King Ahaz, don't be scared. These two countries that have come against you, they're going to be destroyed within your lifetime. They're not going to destroy Judah. Verse 9. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz says, said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. All right, to that ending there, there's going to be a time that hasn't been seen since you had civil war and Israel split to the north and Judah split to the south, but it's going to be worse because the king of Assyria over there where Iraq is is going to come in to this land. So in this passage, there's a lot of complicated moving parts and there's a lot of history we got to go over, but in this passage, God gives us three gifts that maybe can transform our doubt for faith. Now, I don't think doubt is necessarily a bad thing. In fact, if you are a Christian and you have lived long enough and you have seen enough of the world, I would say that doubt goes along with your faith. Doubt is okay and it is a fine servant, but it makes a terrible master. And none of us like to be in that place of doubt. We all want to have a place of security. We all want to be secure in our faith, secure in our thoughts, secure in what we believe. And doubt is fine as long as, you, as long as we don't have to stay in doubt. We always want to get out of doubt. One of the gifts that God gives, and one of the gifts he gave Ahaz, when Ahaz was experiencing extreme doubt, and then even fear that they were shaking in their hearts like the trees shake from the wind, God gives a prophet. God always seems to give a word, a good word, the perfect word, exactly when we need to hear it if we're willing to listen to it. God sends the prophet Isaiah. He sends the prophet Isaiah to give encouragement to Ahaz, to give instruction to Ahaz, and even give this boost of confidence if only Ahaz would listen. Fear not. Be careful. Keep calm. Do not lose heart because of, what you, of the circumstances you're going through. I have lived long enough now, and I have friends that have lived long enough now that we have all experienced difficult circumstances and times where we don't know what is going to happen and we are fearful for what is going to happen on the other side, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen in the, in the future. In fact, one of our, our prayer partners, and we, we meet for, there's a group that meets for prayer before church, uh, one of our prayer partners in our group is very concerned about the direction our country is heading. Now, he's not shaking, he's not fearful, but he's very concerned because there is an element of unknown. 
going on. None of us like that. None of us like to not be in control, and none of us like to not have security. So God sends a prophet with the Word of God and the way of God. Now the Word, it gives encouragement, it gives instructions, but it also reveals what God is like. We need to know and remember that God is faithful, that God has a perfect track record, that God has never let anything get out of his control. I'll give you an example of a fear that has entered into our community an uncertainty that has entered into our community. And maybe you heard of it last week, and maybe your heart went aflutter, and maybe you started wondering what is going to happen next and what is happening to our community. Maybe you heard about the after-school Satan Club that is now coming to Denver Elementary School. Oh, excuse me, Holmes Elementary School. Anybody hear about that this last week? Anybody talk about it last week? Anybody talk to your friends about it last week? This is concerning. But God was not surprised when Miss Everett rented out the school to have an after-school satanic club meeting. This did not take God by surprise. When Israel and Syria got together to attack Ahaz, God was not surprised by this. And what was his instruction to Ahaz? Be calm. Don't fear. Don't lose heart over what the enemy is planning. I wonder what God's instruction would be to us if he could send a prophet or a word to us when we have a moment of uncertainty or a moment of fear and we don't know what is going to happen in our community. I wonder if he would say the same thing to us. Be calm. Don't fear. Do not lose heart over what the enemy is planning. I think we need to remind ourselves of that from Scripture, and we need to hear that from the prophet even today. The reason why the the after-school Satan Club has been introduced to Holmes Elementary is because the light of God is already there, and Satan wants to fight against the light of God. He cannot hurt the Creator, but he can try to attack the creation. The Good News Club is already meeting at Holmes Elementary. We have teachers that come to this church that go to Holmes Elementary, and they pray together in that school already. There's a reason why, although Miss Everett would not say they worship Satan, they would say they don't have anything to do with Satan, there's a reason why Satan is bringing an after-school club to Holmes Elementary. It's because the light is there. So don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Be concerned. Be active. Make some choices that are going to make a difference. Like maybe we should be more involved in our local schools as a church, loving on those students, caring for those teachers, and making a difference. If you're really concerned, you're going to move to make a difference in our school systems. One church, the Church of God, just up the street, decided they would. They're going to do an after-school club the same dates as the after-school Satan club, except they're going to have more. They're going to have more pizza. They're going to have more food. They're going to have more fun. They're going to have more people involved. And if you want to be, in, if you want to be involved in that after-school program to fight against the after-school Satan club, talk to me afterwards because they need more volunteers. 
And if you really are concerned, you'll, you'll want to volunteer some way. And if you just would rather shake like the trees in the wind, you'll just talk about it, and you'll just post about it, but you won't do anything about it. God, when He gives us encouragement, He usually gives us instruction too. One of the instructions He gave Ahaz was, stand firm, keep trusting Me. But He always sends a word. He always sends a prophet. This is very similar to what um, (laughs) uh, the angel told the shepherds. The shepherds living in the time of Jesus' birth, they were experiencing scary, uncertain times as well. The king, the Caesar, had just ordered a census of all the nations. That meant maybe taxes are going to go up. That means they have to return home to their home uh, town and, and register. That means they, they have to move closer to swearing fealty to an evil king. And God sent a message. A whole chorus of angels appeared in the sky. And what was the word to the shepherds who were so scared that night? Anybody remember? Fear not. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. If you grew up watching the Charlie Brown special or you grew up with the King James Version, they were sore afraid. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The Word of God always shows up at just the right time through a prophet, through the Word, to give us encouragement, to give us instruction. And if we would look and trust that God has sent a word, we would be helped too. Wendy Wallace knows how this works for her. Wendy Wallace in 2011 got sick, and by the third day she was in the hospital from an infection. Right before she drifted off, the doctors came in and told her, they said, if we don't cut off your hands and your feet below the knees, you will die. And so she gave consent and then was in a three-week coma where the doctors told her family that there is less than a 1% chance she would survive. And she woke up with no hands and no feet. She said she struggled in those moments. She struggled remembering all the things that she could no longer do And then it came to her mind, the Word of God that was her favorite verse before she was sick. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, God always tends to send a word if we would just listen, if we would just look for it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. And that one word from God began to get windy through those difficult times. And she began to change from thinking about the things that she couldn't do to figuring out the things that she could still do. And she said, it turns out she can still do just about everything. 
Recently, 2018, she had started a blog, One Exceptional Life, where she helps people who are experiencing trauma get through the trauma and meet on the other side. Most recently, she drove a motorcycle. I don't know how you draw, drive a motorcycle with no hands and no feet, but she did. She is an encouragement, but she is an encouragement to others because she was encouraged by the Word of God. God sends a word. He sends a prophet. Wendy says, for you to find encouragement, you need to follow a plan. You need to choose daily to believe and trust in God. That He's got a plan that nothing has surprised Him. Study His Word. Remind yourself that God is good and He has a perfect track record. We need to take up the Word and we need to hear it. Then we need to read it. You know, if you try to grab a Bible with just your forefinger hearing the Word, that's pretty good, but it won't give you a good grip. But then if you start reading it, two fingers on the Bible, maybe you get a better grip on it. Then you start studying and understanding. Well, that's three fingers. Four fingers, you memorize it. Oh, now it's starting to make sense. But to truly get a grip on the Word, you need to meditate on it. Then you can hold it close and you'll be encouraged. Wendy meditated on trust in the Lord. And it changed her outlook. It was a gift from her to God and exchanged her doubt for faith. She had her umbrella moment and she turned to God and trusted Him. And God always sends a word if we're willing to look for it. And he sent the word, Jesus, to show us exactly who he is. He sends a prophet, but he also sends a promise. The promise we have is also found as a warning. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. The second half of this verse. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. The promise is the opposite of that. Stand firm in your faith and you will stand. No faith no future. Have faith, you'll have a future. See, Ahaz was doing this weird thing that we all tend to do. When the circumstances got bad, he forgot to to include God in his decision making. He forgot to look at how God sees everything and knows everything and even knows the future. And what Ahaz was doing, he was not including God's promises. See, God had promised Ahaz and the line of David, that there would always be a king to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. And they had to trust God's word. But here's what Ahaz did. When Israel and Syria decided to come against him, team up, Ahaz said, I know what I'll do. I'll go over and ask the king of Assyria where Iraq is. Anybody ever know, anybody ever heard about in the news how Israel and Syria, Iran, Iraq... And Lebanon, nobody likes Israel. Anybody ever seen that in the news? That was happening 6,000 years ago too. That was happening 3,000 years ago as well. And King Ahaz, in that moment of panic, because he did panic, God said, be calm, don't panic, trust me. In that moment of mistrust, he decided to pay the king of Assyria money to come help him. He said, let's team up. He went to a greater enemy than the enemies that were going to attack him to get help. Anybody else see that this is a bad idea? How couldn't Ahaz see that this was a bad idea? Well, he wasn't wasn't listening to God. He wasn't trusting God. 
See, faith is not merely believing in a God. Faith is trusting the Word of God. Faith is not merely a cognitive assent, a cognitive agreement. Faith is not believing that Jesus died and rose again. Even demons believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They believe it and they shudder. Faith is entrusting yourself to the person who resurrected from the dead. See, we all have what's known as convictions, some beliefs. I love this illustration that uh, one of my mentors gave me. He said, we have uh, a set of beliefs that begin with public convictions. Public convictions, they can be fake. You might have noticed some of our politicians said some things before they got elected or not elected that you may not have believed to be entirely true. See, public convictions are the things we say for good PR. Public convictions work like this. <laughs> this, is what, this is what my mentor taught me. He said, if somebody says, does this skirt make my hips look big? The answer is, I didn't even know you had hips until you asked. See, this is fake. Public convictions. They can be fake. The second set of convictions are our private convictions. And private convictions can be fickle. These are the convictions we think we believe until we're hard-pressed. We think God will answer the prayer to send rain, but only one person brings an umbrella. That's because those private convictions where I believe God can intervene, sometimes when it's pressed and we come under pressure, we realize that was kind of a fickle belief. We believe God is in control. We believe nothing is outside of His control. We believe that nothing surprises Him. And yet when we hear about the after-school Satan club, we begin to panic and we start gossiping all over the place like crazy because we don't know what to do. God's got it under control. Except our private beliefs sometimes can be a little fickle. And then we have our core beliefs. And we rarely, we rarely violate our core beliefs. Our core beliefs are revealed by our actions. In our Wednesday morning prayer group of ministers and pastors in town, there's a minister named Kerry that came and prayed with us. And right now he's praying with us, not because he's a paid pastor, but because he's out of a job. And he said, I don't have anything else to do on Wednesday morning. Can I come pray with you? And we said, sure, come pray with us. And guess what we were talking about Wednesday morning? The after school Satan club. Where does our core release lie? Here's what Carrie said. Hey, guys, be calm. God is not surprised by this. In fact, I know what we should do. That lady who started the club at Holmes, we should pray for her. 
we should pray that God opens her eyes to the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. We should go to prayer for her right now that her heart would be transformed and that she would come to believe that God would intervene and take her out, not by killing her or destroying her, but by making her dead to a lie. What do you think his core convictions are? He really believes that God can do what he says he does. What a great word to us where we went and we went and we just prayed for that lady. What do you think Jesus wants to change about us? He wants to change these core convictions to trust Him completely. Faith is not just believing in God. It is trusting God's Word. Let me give you a couple of definitions of faith that I really like. Walter Brueggemann, he says it this way, a practical, faith is a practical reliance. Okay, I have to rely on God practical ways. That means in everyday life. Faith is a practical reliance upon the assurance of God. Okay, God promises He's with me. He will watch over me. He only has the good in store for me, especially concerning my transformation in Jesus Christ. Okay, faith is the practical reliance upon the assurance of God in context of risk when one's own resources are not adequate. We don't have the resources to change somebody's heart to believe in Christ. And so we trust that God can. And we ask Him to intervene. We don't have the resources to stop cancer when it is out of control and the medication can no longer work. But God can intervene. And so we go to Him in prayer and we trust Him because our resources are inadequate. We don't have the resources to see very far into the future like none. And so we trust God for tomorrow because our resources are inadequate. That is faith. I like how Dallas Willard says it too. Under the care of the Father that Jesus describes, because he's trying to bring about our core conviction change, Jesus was the only human ever to exist where his public convictions, his private convictions, and his core convictions all lined up perfectly all the time. What he said he believed about God and what he privately believed about God and what he revealed through his actions with belief about trusting God always lined up. Under the care of the Father that Jesus describes, we are perfectly safe in this universe. This is faith. You are not at risk even though bad things may happen to our bodies. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This world is a perfectly safe place to be. That's faith. How does your faith compare to that statement? Do you say you believe that God knows everything and He's in control? And you kind of really do believe it, but does it show up in how you act? Jesus did. Even though things may 
happen that are bad for his body, he completely trusted God. In a new book written post-death, post Henry Nouwen, it's called Flying, Falling, Flying, Catching. About a year before Henry Nouwen died, he became just entranced. Uh, he became just, uh, he just loved watching, he fell in love with a flying trapeze group called the Flying Rodleys. He just, he couldn't take his eyes off them. He kept going back and watching them over and over and over again. And he was so enraptured by them, he went and he talked to Stephen Rodley, the founder of the Flying Rodleys. And he said, tell me what is going on here. So, in, so enraptured, so connected that they let him get up on the tightrope walk and try to walk. Now, I'm not that brave. But in his interview and in his book, Stephen Rodley says that the flying trapeze, when they let go and they spin through the air and they do all this acrobatic motions, he says he's actually not doing anything. All the work is done by the catcher. He says the catcher wants a flyer that doesn't have a sweet tooth. So you want flyers to be light and easy to catch. And the flyers want a catcher that doesn't sweat very much because you don't want sweaty palms catching you. But he said, as a flyer, all he does is he stretches out his arms and then he waits. Do you really believe that God has got everything under control? If you do, then when circumstances don't go your way and when bad things happen to your body or when you're not in control or you don't know what's going to come next, if you really trust God, you'll just stretch your hands out and wait. God as the catcher has never dropped anybody. His hands don't sweat. They bleed, but they don't sweat. See, God can exchange our doubt for faith because He gives us a prophetic word. He gives us a promise. He says we can trust Him to send the rain. And the greatest, the greatest prophetic word, and the greatest promise that He ever gives us is His presence. Here's how Isaiah put it. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and we will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the Hebrew, The word for virgin is just ambiguous enough that it calls attention to itself. It means a young woman of marriageable age in Hebrew. Later in the Greek, it was translated virgin. 
And Isaiah has this two-part prophecy going on. The first prophecy goes to Ahaz, king of Judah, when all the world around him is falling down and he is shaking like a tree, Isaiah says, God is with us. And it would be between two and 65 years before that prophecy comes true that both Israel and Syria were removed off the face of the map and would no longer bother Judah. But it would be 750 years before Jesus arrived in a manger. God taking on humanity. God taking on flesh. Where the woman of, who is young and of a marriageable age was actually the Virgin Mary who gave birth to the Son of God so that God could be with us. This is the ultimate word of encouragement. This is the ultimate word, prophetic word, that gives us instruction. This is the ultimate promise. God is with us. Isaiah and all the people of the Old Testament had to look forward to the day of Jesus. And we and all of Christians in history have always had to look back to the day of Jesus. But it is a day that still resounds. As long as it is today, we can trust what God says is true. Jesus is the sign, the promise, the prophetic word. He is God's presence to us and he promises to never leave or forsake us. He promises to always be with us. He promises to always carry out God's ways even in ways that we don't understand, but that are good for the transformation of our soul. And Jesus shows us that even if bad things happen to our bodies, we are still perfectly safe in this world because we are never separated from the love of God. That's why we keep trusting Him. And the way to continue to build that trust, the way to exchange doubt for faith, are those simple Simple task that he gives us as a church to continually do every day. Get in the word every day so we can see. Read your Bible every day. Memorize the Bible. Meditate on the Bible every day so we can see that God is good. He is faithful. That we can remind ourselves that God is good. That he is faithful. That we can remind ourselves that he never drops anybody. He's the perfect catcher. If we just hold out our hands and we wait. Those simple things like going in the scripture and then going to prayer. Those simple things that we just keep, we keep doing them and it helps build our knowledge and confidence about who God is so that we trust him. If you're currently not daily reading your Bible, I encourage you to do it. It reminds us of God's faithfulness. If you're currently, you don't know how to pray, find another Christian and ask them to help you pray. Come to our Sunday morning, 815 prayer time. If you're currently not in a group, these are just daily things that we do. A small group gathering, a Sunday school class, a small group, a small Bible study, where you just encourage one another, reminding each other that God is faithful. We just keep practicing these things so we can move the belief down into our core and we begin to show that we really believe who God says He is. One of the practices that God gives us 
is called communion. This is a practice that he says, keep repeating. And one of the reasons why he says keep repeating is Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. I heard a preacher say just this week, he said the English word for remembering has lost its impact and power. Because remembering is not just recalling to mind facts. And he said one way to think about it, one way to think about it is do the opposite of remembering. The opposite of remembering is not forgetting. The opposite of remembering is dismembering. Member has to do with the body. If you dismember something, you're cutting off the hands, you're cutting off the feet. But if you remember, you're rejoining, you're sewing back together, you're uniting. Jesus says, with communion, do this in remembrance of me. And I believe communion time is a significant spiritual time where we are reuniting ourselves to the body and blood of Christ like we can do at no other time. We can't do it in our private time. We can't do it in our private Bible study. We can't do it in our private prayer time. We can only do this when we gather together as the church and we reunite ourselves to Christ as the body of Christ. Where we spiritually drink down His words to our core where we spiritually consume Him, uniting His presence to ourselves, asking the Holy Spirit to bring about a change, to grow our faith. Would you take out your bread? And would you reunite yourself spiritually with the body of Christ and participate in the God, we thank you for this time where we are significantly and spiritually remembering ourselves to you. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that this is a participation in your body. You tell us in John that we must eat your body, eat your flesh, and drink your blood. And you tell us those are spiritual descriptions of what is happening. So, Lord, help us to consume you and unite yourself to us just as you have drawn us close to you. Would you take out the cup? And don't just recall the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you, but use that information. Push it down to your core. Consume it so you are united to the blood of Christ that covers over all of your sin that promises that promises that you will never be separated from the love of God would you participate in the cup Jesus we ask now that you would spiritually strengthen us through your presence even your presence spiritually that is found in our communion time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, 
be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.